G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round 14 preview edition, the last of the buy round, so just the six games, but we still have a jam-packed show for you, plenty of uh, footy news to discuss and one game left over from round 13, which we need to wrap up and a big game it was too. Uh, never forget, we are always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Get tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season, thanks to Palmerbet. Always remember to gamble responsibly as uh, I introduce my co-host, and we're both a bit the worse for wear, because like seemingly half the country, we got up at 4am uh, to watch the Socceroos, thankfully, qualify for another World Cup. How are you, Rob? Uh, 3.50. Uh, the alarm went off, so I didn't want to sit through half an hour of um, uh, the preview. So I got him. I was awake, uh, put my head under the tap, and uh, saw them come down the tunnel. That was good enough for me. Um, had trying to had save done, on hot water, eh? You put your head under yeah, the tap. You couldn't just jump yeah. in the shower for two minutes. Had a chance to um, to win that one or two nil, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they did. They, they actually, played, yeah, played the more enterprising. Football, yeah, which is a big statement to, for, against the South American side that were very, very disappointing. Yeah, um, never really challenged, and then of course, um, I was like you, I knew it was going to happen. We were going to get beaten in a yeah. penalty. Well, you I know. think when you're our age, you've seen so yeah. many spectacular disasters. <laughs> so, you know, and that's the thing. Someone said, you know, this is our fifth World Cup in a row, and I thought, yeah, it is. And isn't that's that amazing? Because we, until John Aloisi in 2005. You just knew that there was going to be some disaster before us that would prevent us from qualifying. And yes. and after Martin Boyle missed that first penalty in the shootout, you thought, oh, well, okay, here we go. At least we've got time to get ready for it. But, uh, <laughs> well, credit to Graham Arnold, credit to the uh, the grey wiggle, as they're calling him now, Andrew Redmayne. Yeah. I did say to my uh, son, David, as, as soon as we watched it and we'd finished jumping around the room, I said, that, that, reaction of his to saving the penalty. We are going to see that a hundred thousand times over the next 10 or 20 years, but definitely a, a big moment in Australian sporting history. Yeah. I enjoyed it. No doubt about that. All right. Well, a we good, are a, a good uh, week in sport. It, it is. We are an AFL podcast, however. So uh, time to uh, discuss our code and uh, plenty going on. Uh, like I said, a game to review games to preview and, some important news to talk about. So let's do that right now. On Footyology News Feed. Well, uh, some big injury news coming out uh, not long after we record this, Rob, or not long before, sorry. And um, sad story, one of them, and that is uh, Caleb Marchbank, who we were all celebrating returning to senior football after spending no less than 1,069 days on the sidelines. No sooner has he come back 
when he's out again. Um, scans on Monday confirmed a lateral meniscus tear. It requires surgery, and he's going to be out for six to eight weeks. Uh, cruel blow because he has been so unlucky, and I thought um, in his comeback he was more than handy. So um, really unfortunate bit of luck for him. I'll, I'll run through all of them, and I'll get your comments on all three. Uh, the other one, uh, North Melbourne, well, just when you thought things couldn't get any worse for them, they have now lost their skipper, Jack Zebel. He is expected to miss at least the next four games, if not five, after suffering a facial fracture quite late in that loss to GWS. So losing more leadership, they can ill afford to lose. And the other important one, they have the bye this week, of course. Another side with the bye this week, but they will be similarly anxious. This could be a massive injury or have massive ramifications on their season. Melbourne have uh, potentially lost their skipper, Max Gorn, who is in a moon boot as we speak and uh, is due to have scans for the dreaded injury that we'd never heard of until five seconds ago, but now every man in his dog care. In fact, I'm thinking of getting one just to stay in fashion. Uh, Syndesmosis, he's in a moon boot with that, and uh, no, no laughing matter. He's got scans, and potentially he could be out for a bit too. So some fairly um, serious injuries there, Rob, and, of course, shocking misfortune for Caleb Marchbeck. Um, it's been a tough campaign over a number of years for Max Gorn, and um, while the bye will come at an opportune time and he'll be spending a lot of time at Kerford Road Beach, no doubt about it, in that salt water, um, he is getting knocked about now. He wasn't the type of player that was, so that's a, that's just something to watch, how sore he's getting throughout the year uh, as he gets a little bit older. Um it's too early to go on Melbourne at the moment. Um, I think we both picked Collingwood win, didn't we? Uh, no, I tipped Melbourne. Oh, well, well there you go. Um, Marchbank's uh, a tragedy after those uh, days, you said, three years, something like that, out of the game, and also not at the greatest time. He was very, very handy, but this, this, um, this omission, not omission, this injury takes place uh, very much on the eve of um, uh, Lynch returning at full forward for Richmond against an already uh, banged up uh, Carlton backline, um, and it's going to put enormous pressure on uh, on Young, who is very very good recruit from uh, the Western Bulldogs. And the last one is Jack Zebel. I'd like to be tongue in cheek. Um, he's being played in the forward pocket. Uh, he didn't get put on the ball again. It's been a bone of contention of mine. You need everyone's crying out. All these young sides are crying out for leadership in key areas. Um, his support, and I know you're going to get on to Horn Francis, Rowan, but goodness me, um, as Lou Richards would say, Jack Hill, the blind miner, can see that a combination of Zebel and Horn Francis in the centre square would do the kid the world of good. But Jack, for some reason, is uh, standing, shivering in a uh, in a forward pocket. It sort of reminded me. I have drawn this analogy before, but they they are reminding me a bit of Melbourne, circa two thousand and twelve, and even to what you're talking about there, which is basically sacrificing some of the senior leadership that they've got in a bid to 
expedite the development of younger guys in key positions and as leaders. But uh, it's like the game style they're pursuing, which I heard some interesting stuff about today, which I'll, I'll mention during our preview. But, yeah, um, you know, it's like you can only be that positive or, or that sort of bold if you've got the cattle there. And I, I'm not sure they have. So it's sort of like throwing the baby out with the bathwater a bit in terms of not utilising your leaders and your best players to the extent that they should be utilised. Um, you mentioned Horn Francis, and that is another uh, news item I had on the agenda for discussion. So let's talk about it. And, uh, look, I, I'm a big believer you can read a bit too much into A, body language, and B, spats between players on the field. And as far as that goes, I didn't think his little, you know, it was barely a disagreement really with Todd Goldstein. I, I didn't make too much of that, but his body language throughout the game and just little things like coming on and off the interchange bench. And I did speak to someone who was sitting near the bench and confirmed this for me that there was a real, you know, lack of sort of high-fiving his his teammates as he was coming on and off the bench. You know, all those little sort of supportive things, standing away from the group a bit at the huddle, not really getting engaged, you know, with teammates in a supportive sense. It did really look like he had the sulks and and not a good look. And he certainly had a, a as difficult an induction as any number one draft pick has had for a long time because they are just having a cow of a season. But it's a bit of a worry and it, it does make you sort of think, well, you know, is this guy really going to invest himself in the club or just see out time until he can escape and go back to his home of South Australia? Uh, it's obviously a kid's glove, kid gloves approach at the moment, uh, Rowan, which uh, allows him, like he's a mature kid, mature physically. I don't know about mature. He's played a lot of senior football. He's been coached by senior coaches in South Australia. Uh, I think this has been a shock for him. Mm. I think this is not what the dream was meant to be. Um, body language is a sign of uh, youthful immaturity. I don't read a hell of, you know, he's facing things that an 18-year-old, you know, probably rarely has to face. Well, well think just on that, just on that too, the senior but, footy he has played has been in a successful team because South Adelaide had a had a really good season last year. And the uh on on the wire, not the wire, the the TV, I think it was. It might have been the radio. So one of the three. You almost uh, said the uh, wireless then, didn't you? Yeah, the, on the wire. Yeah, the wireless. <laughs> Your crystal um, set. Yeah. Um, they compared him to Sam Walsh. And Carlton was uh, marginally better, uh, fractionally better than what North are, but were in the same, same position. And yet Sam Walsh at the exact same age um, pushed and led and encouraged and embraced and worked. Uh, it was a very, very, very good uh, comparison between the two sides at the similar position, uh, with the similar issues with coaches and the different approaches of two young men. No, it's a good point. The the other, well, the other, I reckon he has got a good role model at that club already in Luke Davies Uniac. I mean, he is now in his... Fifth season, 18, 19, 20. Yeah, fifth season. 18, yep. 
Um, and for nearly that whole period, North have been a, a bottom four club and really, really struggled. And yet Davies Uniac has just, you know, he's never been less than competitive and he's improved steadily and he is now a bona fide leader of that side. And he's been able to sort of grit his teeth and perform to a oh. decent level, even in a side that's been playing poorly. So you'd think, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm not saying they haven't done this. I'm sure they have. But surely, you know, someone needs to get LDU to sort of take JHF, who are using acronyms, under his wing and sort of say, listen, mate, you got to, you know, much as I hate saying stuff like this, it's, there's a bit of toughen up princess about it really, isn't it? There is. Uh, the form's not an issue. Um, if it's true, and I'm not doubting you, your observations and who you've spoken to, just standing off the main group at breaks, mm. not embracing at um, – because I'm, I believe the coach sits down there. Yeah. So I would like to – it would have been great to have a camera on that uh, interaction when he came off and was the, was the coach making an effort or did the coach actually uh, provide any communication and feedback. Uh, it's a two-way street here. But I think Noble is erring on the side of uh, – uh, cotton wool, kid gloves, uh, and um, let's encourage. Or, but uh, I'm not sure that's going to work. Right. No, I'm not sure either. But I, but I also do understand that because if they, you know, if he walks out on them as soon as he can, that is just such a bad sign. I mean, you know, the AFL worry about that with you know, with that happening the Gold Coast and used to worry about it with GWS, um, in a way it would be even worse for it to happen to a North Melbourne because they don't have that, you know, whilst they would, I think, be protected by priority picks or special assistance if, if needed, the AFL simply don't have the same sort of emotional investment in North that they do in those other clubs. In fact, some would argue quite the reverse, given they tried to shunt them up to the Gold Coast 15 years ago. So, um, you know, North just can't afford to lose a player of that stature. It would just send such a bad, bad message to other aspiring recruits. So, look, you know, we wait and see, but I, I really hope, you know, for the good, not just of North, but for the good of the competition, really, that, they can not only turn things around and be at least competitive, but uh, get these good young players that they do pick up to be part of their future because otherwise it's going to be pretty bleak few years, you'd think, for them. Um, all right, one more thing I wanted to put out there, and it's a story that's been uh, bubbling away since last weekend, but uh, Western Bulldogs, Bailey Smith, of course, had that incriminating video come to light, uh, video taken uh, end of last year, I believe, not shortly after the grand final. And um, it's been an interesting week or so because uh, unlike a lot of these cases, he and the club um, decided to get proactive and sort of get on the front foot and issue a statement that I thought was quite impressive. And it was to put his hand up and admit to, yes, that was me, you know, yes, um, it was the substance you were uh, suggesting it was. Yes, I went off the rails. I, and I, and I, I reckon, I must say, like I, I've got a bit of respect for him anyway, but I thought, yeah, you've made a bad mistake, but I really, I like the way you've owned this. And it's sort of, 
diffused it as a controversy, I think. And look, we know he's going to get rubbed out for at least a couple of games, you'd think. But um, I like the way he's handled this. What interests me is sort of the aftermath of this. Every time there's a case like this, there's always this cry from either former players in the media or coaches or officials to scrap the illicit drug policy and, you know, uh, put put it more in, in responsibility for policing it, more in the hands of clubs. I don't know about you, Rob, but I, I'm always very suspicious about that line of thinking because I'm a big believer that, you know, these sorts of health-based policies are designed on the advice of qualified experts. And I've got a lot more faith in the medical profession to work out the sort of confidentiality required around um, policies like this than I have um, people who, whilst they may be senior in football clubs, don't have any medical qualifications. So, yes, there are clearly some loopholes that perhaps need to be tightened, but I'm okay with the confidentiality aspect of it, and I'm okay with people in clubs not necessarily knowing the whole box and dice of a player's private uh, situation. The other aspect of this, of course, is mental health. I think there's a lot of cynicism out there from people saying that when someone has a drug issue, they play the mental health card. Well, my view on this is sort of more in line with the medical view, which is drug use is often a symptom of mental health issues. The two are often, you know, um, inextricably linked. So I just think it's something we need to continue to tread carefully around. And I noticed today too, Harry Unwick, one of the men who helped draft that policy and a long-time North Melbourne doctor, he's come out very strongly in support of the continuation of that three-strikes policy. Now, if someone, a doctor of his standing is prepared to go to those lengths to back what they came up with, I'm definitely in that corner on it. How do you feel about this? It was good enough for the likes of Harry Unglick, Jacob Landsberger, the late, great Dr. Bruce Reed, um, Gary Zimmerman. Um, it's good enough for me. And uh, I'm for all for medical advice. If they say three strikes, that's important because the first one, uh, I don't want to know about it. I know the media, you know, the exclusive media or want to be all over it. They want to find this out. I don't. I want the player helped. I want intervention after the first strike in a private manner. Uh, and um, we'll just leave it at that and we'll leave it to the experts. So for me, it's not even an issue that I want to discuss. Um, it's there, it's in place, and I believe in the reasons that it's in there, uh, designed by the people that know better than anyone else. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good point. And actually, just to back that up, I think you make a really good point there too about vested interests. Now, um, you know, look, we're, we're both, well, me particularly, even though I'm in it, and pretty critical of the media industry these days, and we've had another good example of that uh, last weekend with um, the uh, oh, attempt to out a celebrity about their uh, sexual preference, which is... Uh, um, been the subject of a lot of angst. Um, but this one too, I mean, a lot of media people, to be perfectly honest, their vested interest is in exactly what you say. It's wanting a name. It's wanting to be in on on the detail. And uh, that's not what should be important here. And just to back that up, um, you, we I mentioned Harry Unwick and uh, great man, Harry. 
Um, this is from a story John Ralph has written in the Herald Sun, but I, I think his explanation of the, the rationale behind the whole thing is worth repeating here. He said, the reason it was brought in the first place was WADA didn't have a policy for outer competition testing for illicit drugs like cocaine and ecstasy and marijuana. And we felt the emerging fashion with young people was to drink less alcohol and take more drugs. So we thought it was a good idea to bring in a policy of harm minimisation. Hmm. The whole purpose was not to blame and shame, but to support and help kids. If you picked up a kid with drugs in the community, you wouldn't put his name in the newspaper. You'd put him in a program and help him. So that was the aim. And that's why it was a three strikes policy. Unfortunately, a lot of pressure was put on myself and Peter Harcourt to make it a two strikes policy and to make it a bit more punitive. I didn't aspire to it or agree to it, but under the medical model, we put people into programs. We gave them psychological help and counselling. The one thing no one seems to mention is we used to test them much more rigorously. So there you go. That is the medical perspective on the uh, illicit drugs policy. And uh, I think some very sound reasoning there as to why it exists in the form it's in and um well let's see what happens with bailey smith but hopefully it's a bit of a line in the sand moment for him and he can go and uh pursue his brilliant career um free of ordinary um distractions and things he doesn't need in his life all right, that's enough news segment. Uh, we've got six games to preview, but before we do that, we've got one game to review. Queen's birthday Monday saw the conclusion of round 13, the big freeze, a great occasion on the football calendar. So it was again, and a great occasion for the Collingwood Football Club, if not so for the reigning Premier Melbourne, now having lost three games in a row in the end a convincing 26-point uh, win to the Magpies and a 46-point turnaround from an earlier deficit. The final scores, Collingwood, 12-10-82, defeating Melbourne, 8-8-56. The goal kickers for the Pies, four to Majacek, three to Elliott, singles the rest. For Melbourne, two to Brown, Singles the rest. Well, uh, Melbourne had the ascendancy 20 points up at one stage early in the third quarter. The turning point, Rob, it was a big moment, and it was uh, McCreary nailing Jake Weaver in a tackle, kicking a goal. From that moment on, it was seven goals to one, and uh, the Pies dominating that last quarter, adding four, five to one solitary goal to the Mel to Melbourne, who have now given up a handy sort of lead three games in a row and uh, just maybe have a bit of cause for concern. How do you see this one? Yeah, they're not running out games. And, of course, the big question is starting to come, how much are they missing Darren Burgess that left? Uh, so that's starting to raise its ugly head in uh, in uh, some of the press, Ron. Um, I'll just jump backwards and forwards with a few points. My check, the uh, Port Melbourne... Um, uh, full back about it's six, become about six years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but no, it's a great story. That's where he was recruited from, and um, and uh, as well and truly worn out the tag of a journeyman. He's a he's a premier forward, um, and another four consistent goals for him. And wasn't it interesting to watch uh, 
the Stephen May less Melbourne backline because while he's a very good player, um, Jake Lever really misses him. You, you, you heard, you know, McCreary ran him down. He got turned inside out by Jamie Elliott, found himself on the wrong side. He allowed Elliott the centre corridor to kick what was a, I, I don't think it was a ceiling game goal, but, geez, it brought the crowd to light. And um, as you said, seven out of the last eight goals. And the other thing, Max Gorn's getting sore. We spoke about that in our preview with our injuries. And the one that they've all missed is the lack of input and clubs doing a number on probably in their top three or four players is Langdon. Langdon's had six kicks and four handballs on a wing. He started on side bottom and then they swapped wings and they moved Hoskin Elliott across onto him. So he's gone from high 30s to 10 Mm. and uh, clubs are really starting to put some work on. He went under the radar because of Petrarca, Oliver, Gorn, these more high-profile players, but they've caught up with him, Rowan, so it'll be very interesting to see how Ed Langdon copes with uh, some closer attention. I reckon you can see their confidence visibly waning. I, I thought they were unusually fumbly in this game. One of the hallmarks of their best play for me in that unbeaten run was the silkiness of their skills, you know, just constantly hitting targets, not fumbling, one-grab marking. But, you know, I saw some really good players. Harms fumbled under pressure. Petrarca gave away a certain goal by by uh, not grabbing the ball cleanly. Uh, Jordan, a couple of um, fumbles for him. They're just not quite as sure with their ball handling as they were. And this is despite, you know, Clayton Oliver completely dominating. 43 disposals he had in this game. He won the medal for BOG. I think they're sort of getting back to where they were up forward when they were struggling. Uh, no Tom McDonald, Ben Brown, not really in form. And that increases the pressure on the likes of Bailey Fritch, which means he can't sort of play as that third part in the chain, you know, because the the key forwards that are there aren't really occupying the uh, main focus of the opposition defence. Uh, they've got to give, they've got to give uh, the grandson of Murray a really good go. Yeah. Well, apparently, got, apparently yeah. it was okay in the VFL. So, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, and they've got a, a week to lick their wounds here too. But, look, let's not focus. No, that'll do for them. them. Let's move on to the uh, the carrying bush, please. All right. Well, I'll tell you what I'm loving about the carrying bush. Um, I'm loving the fact that you're laughing here because you know exactly what I'm going to say. They are being encouraged to play positive footy, to take the game on to try to score, to move the ball forward. You know, I was thinking about watching the Socceroos at times this morning just to digress a bit. I mean, it's not rocket science, Rob. We overcomplicate this game. You move the ball forward towards your goal and you try and kick goals. It is not rocket science. Some sides try and make it look like rocket science. Collingwood, I think one thing Craig McRae has done is uncomplicate the game for them and you can see the younger guys responding to it. You know the other thing? He's encourage. You can see he's encouraging that flair, and it's it's obvious in the shape of a guy like Ginevan. Now I can imagine some coaches grabbing Ginevan by the collar and going, "Stop it! Stop antagonising opponents! Stop showing off!" I reckon Collingwood are embracing that. He's loving it. He's revelling in that role. Look at the way a guy like Nick Dacos just keeps getting better and better because he's encouraged to 
be himself, to take the lead, to express his talents. They are responding to it. The older players are responding to it, and they're all gelling magnificently. You know what? Right at the moment, there is a lot about Collingwood reminding me of Essendon of 1993. Oh, you talking about Collingwood, are you? <laughs> well, I wish I was talking about my side, but I'm talking about Collingwood. I thought you were doing an ad. Oh, well. An, an ad for the Essendon Football Club. They're good to what? They're what? For, for my tilt at the presidency. They are uh, playing listen, attacking, yeah. aggressive footy, and it's paying off for them. And I'll tell you where it's been shown. Uh, the Pies went 50% efficiency inside 50. They had 27 shots from their 54 entries. It's superb. And guess what? The other mob, 33%, 17 shots from 52. Hey, hey, mate, they're not downhill skiers, Rowan. They tackle hard. Yep, yep. They work hard in close. And they have got a superbly settled back line. And while I give one of my past students a bit of a rap, Nathan Murphy has, has snuck into that back line as that third intercept tool with Moore, Howe, Quainer on flanks, Maynard, and the energetic uh, Noble. That's a very nicely balanced back line. That, uh, and, and I thought Maynard was one of the best on the ground. He was yeah, superb. No, it's an underrated defensive unit. And also we, we can't let this game go without uh, giving... Uh, just desserts to Mason oh, Cox, yeah. one of the most maligned players in the game. He was outstanding. 21 disposals, nine marks, terrific goal, and he followed up that goal with some, you know, forays back into defence to take some saving marks. He's very good at that, Rowan. He's he was, very good at reading the ball back into defence. But he's so obviously a confidence player, isn't he? When he does a couple of things right in quick succession, you think, look out. He, he, you know, it's a pity he's so reliant on that confidence because you see what he's capable of. And, oh, well, you know, we're, that famous 2018 preliminary final performance didn't prove to be the launching of a great career. Maybe this big game can be the, you know, the moment the penny drops for him. And you hope so because, you know, he's worked so hard to establish himself and he's copped a lot of flack. So I really enjoyed seeing that. Now, final word on the pies. Yep. Um, they face Melbourne again in round 21. Between now and then, they've got GWS, very winnable. Gold Coast, winnable. North Melbourne, you'd think a win. Adelaide, you'd think a win. Essendon, you'd think a win. Port wow. Adelaide, you'd think a win. Wow. So there's six teams, none of yeah. which are in the top eight. Um, I can now, hear it in your voice, mate. You're excited. We we get we get touched up a little bit about oh you know you're worried about Essendon and you blokes are negative and all that. There's genuine incitement in your voice when you see any team play good footy and and when you see them resurrect themselves and when yeah. they do it quickly. So it mm. can be done quickly. You don't need a 28 year plan like Essendon apparently <laughs> is pursuing Rob. But they did it over <laughs> they did it over pre season. They did it in three months, Rob. Well, well, Richmond did it. At the end of 2016, the Bulldogs did it. It can be done. You don't have to labour it at getting it right for two decades, making a tiny well, amount. Anyway, let's not go we're there five, We're five strategic plans, <laughs> in, aren't we? 
Aren't we five <laughs> strategic plans into a... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, just as well we're not looking at what was intended in those strategic plans, but, oh, it doesn't matter because the officials of that club aren't really marked on whether they deliver their uh, plans or not, are they? All Come right. On, stop spoiling the pies party. Okay. Uh, well done, Collingwood. Yep. Good win uh, to them. They got uh, a buy? Who's, uh, they both have. No? Uh, well, I know Melbourne has. I knew you were going to put me on the spot here. I'm oh, checking very quick. You should quick. be ready. You they know both I'm going to ask I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. We've had some technical issues this morning. so We have. I'm a bit rattled, but uh, they both have the buy this week. All right. That is uh, oh, round 13, signed, sealed and delivered. Let's get on with previewing round 14. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Round 14 kicks off with Thursday night football back again, 7.20 at the MCG. And it is a clash of traditional rivals, great foes of the late 60s, early 70s, and I speak of Richmond and Carlton. This should be a cracker. Palmer bet where you can always get tackle-busting benefits all AFL season. Always remember to gamble responsibly, of course. Palmer bet, what are they saying about this game? Well, I have the Tigers, a marginal favourite head-to-head, paying $1.78. Carlton, even though they are top four, in fact, Quite surprising, perhaps. Richmond, $1.78. Carlton, head-to-head, paying $2.05. So the outsider in this game, fourth on the ladder. The favourite, ninth on the ladder. And that, you'd think, is probably as much as anything about the venue, which is the MCG. So what history do these two have? Well, Carlton won the first meeting this season in round one by 25 points. That was their first win over Richmond, believe it or not, since the 2013 elimination final. Richmond had won 11 in a row against Carlton until round one this season. Their form now is pretty good over Tigers. They've won five of their last six, and the loss was to Sydney by just six points. But the Blues, they're travelling pretty nicely, thanks very much. They are eight and three which is their best win-loss record to this stage of a season since all the way back in 2011, when at the same stage they were eight wins, two losses, and a draw. Personnel, now you flagged this earlier, Tom Lynch will be tested for his hamstring, but every chance he's coming back. Will they be without Dustin Martin, however, who... Damien Hardwick has uh, led us to believe has, quote, a bit of a lurgy. So virus problem for Dusty Martin. He may not be there. Tom Lynch may be there. Carlton, well, they've had their share of injuries for a while now. And uh, unfortunately, you heard off the top uh, terrible news about Caleb Marchbank now out for another couple of months. Again, Adam Chera has pinged his hemi. He's going to be missing for a couple of weeks Mitch McGovern been out for ages. Now he's still a month away. Ruckman Mark Pittenet, he's still four weeks away. Jacob Wiedering, four weeks away. Zach Williams, calf, six to eight weeks away. Geez, their defence has been decimated, hasn't it? But they're hanging in there and a good sign of their much improved depth. I reckon this is going to be a cracker of a game. How do you see this one panning out? Oh, well, Thursday night would be very interesting what crowd will venture out mid well, not midweek, but you know what I mean. Yeah. On a Thursday night, there's been a lot of discussion about that and also the buys. But, uh, look, I've changed five times here, Rowan. Uh, Marchbank, just uh, as he's come back, 
uh, gave some solidity to the back line. Then you see the situation where, uh, looking at the way he trained on the on the television, uh, Lynch will play uh, uh, Mackay and Kerno up against Lynch, Bolter, you know, Rewalt. But it does uh, ask the question whether Bolter will go back onto um, onto Mackay or will they leave that to Tarrant, uh, Grimes, Floston and young Gibskus. Uh what else have we got here? Cher is a big loss. Martin will be a big loss. So they're they're losing players. I just had a gut feeling that um, the Blues uh, uh, might get a bit tired here, Rowan. They they keep going to the well, and they've been magnificent. Uh, Richmond are ninth. They have to win. I know Carlton. Carlton are level what level top now. There's four teams on forty points. It's quite an outstanding season at the top end of the uh, of the AFL tree. I just got a feeling the Tigers will get over them. Nankervis versus the young emerging De Koning is a critical battle. Uh, Prestia's in great form. Walsh is in great form. I, I think they'll bring back Castagna. And while I'm not sure, I don't know how well he played in the VFL but there's a bloke called Doherty for Carlton that's uh, doing some amazing things and back to his premier rebound, intercept best. I, I reckon they'll just bring a couple of experienced blokes back in Richmond uh, that know how to defend uh, the front half and put a little bit of pressure on them. But wherever you look, um, you, you keep changing. Wietering, Marchbank, I think for mine... If Richmond get an equal share of the ball and they're capable of doing it, I think their back line, their forward line, is um, eventually going to get over this uh, quite amazing Carlton back line that's uh, just kept losing full backs all year. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I just reckon the motivation right now might be slightly stronger for the Tigers. And I think their form is slightly better as well. Now, you know, they've won five out of six and lost the other one by a kick to Sydney. The Blues, look, they're still, I mean, they clocked up a win, but they weren't overly impressive against Essendon, I didn't think. Lost the week before, or the game before that to Collingwood. So they're not quite in as good a form as they were. Uh, and the consequences of a loss, well, yeah, look, they could potentially slip out of a top four, but they're still in the mix. Richmond, if they lose this one, you heard me mention Collingwood's run home. Well, the Tigers already a game behind Collingwood, who are in eighth spot. You wouldn't want to slip two games behind with only nine left. It would be very, very hard to make up that ground. No. Uh, I, I, I think I think Richmond's form's better. I think the motivation is a bit stronger, um, and uh, because of that. I'm tipping them. I'm going for Richmond narrowly. I'm going for Richmond by 10 points. What do you reckon? Well, I'm, I'm with you. I changed. I've got the blues written down here. But um, you made a very good point, Rowan, about draws and who they're playing. Um, you mentioned about three names that have got a month to, month to go, four weeks. Carlton will be fine if they can win 50% of their games over the next four or five weeks. Um, but I don't think it'll start tomorrow. And I'm like you. I've got the Tigers narrowly by 13 points. 
All right, there you go. We are both going for Richmond. That is Thursday night football. Let's talk about Friday night football. Friday evening at Marvel Stadium, see St Kilda taking on Essendon, 7.50pm. Palmer Bet, where you can get tackle-busting benefits all AFL season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. They have St Kilda pretty comfortable favourites, as you'd expect, head-to-head. The Saints, $1.27 on offer. The Bombers, you can get a far more lucrative $3.82. I uh, haven't met these two since, uh, well, over a year ago, round three, 2021. And uh, that was a big upset of a time. Essendon smashed St Kilda in that game by 75 points. They haven't played each other a lot over the last five years, they said. They've played only five times in the last five seasons. And the scoreline of those clashes is 3-2 to the Bombers. Uh, Essendon's 2022, well, what a car crash it's been. They are two and nine, and excluding 2016, which, of course, saw them have to field a virtual reserve side thanks to the WADA suspensions, this is their worst start to a season since 2008 uh, when they were also two and nine. And a worse start to a season, you'd have to go back to 2006 where they were one win and 10 losses. The difference in those both those other cases, though, was they weren't following up a finals appearance. This has been some demise by a finalist to close to the foot of the ladder. Uh, well, Cork Calf for Darcy Parrish, um, he's facing a big test and uh, his absence would be massive for Essendon. They are likely to regain your mate, Andy McGrath, who was a late withdrawal against Carlton, and uh, returning potentially, although you, you wonder, will it be at AFL or VFL level, after injured, being injured in the opening minutes of the very first game of the season, Kyle Langford. So they'll be pretty keen to get him back in harness. But uh, one goes in, one goes out. Uh, they'll be hoping McGrath comes back. But uh, Parrish, you think he's probably more likely to miss than to play. St Kilda, got a couple who are forced into concussion protocols. I'll speak of McKenzie and Owens. And uh, Zach Jones, he's facing a fitness test after uh, a little uh, twinge or two in his hamstring against Brisbane. Jack Steele, a big absentee, continued absentee for the Saints, but uh, getting closer, a return date there, he could potentially be back on deck for the Saints in a fortnight. Uh, pretty hard to even consider tipping Essendon in this one. Rob, are you? No, I think this is um, really uh, a potential boil over for a couple of reasons. Uh, St Kilda's coming off a really tough game. Look, they're not household names. They've already got Jack Steele out of there. They haven't lost Ryder. They haven't lost a, like a, a king or someone, but they've lost solid players. They're very sore coming back and they travel back. Um Essendon returned to their preferred venue, which is the stadium under the roof and the fast track. This suits Essendon. It suits uh, Peter Wright, who has not kicked a goal since round uh, nine when Essendon have been outside in uh, difficult conditions. So he's got to stand up in this game because even though the delivery to him and the way the teams double-team him uh, have been 
Well, that's been good, but the delivery's been poor. Um, he's got to adapt his game to difficult conditions, but he gets back into his premier spot and he should have James Stewart with him. And I'll tell you why. If you've got James, James Stewart, who's played very well the last two weeks in the VFL, kicking goals, playing up forward and marking the ball, it allows Wright to return to the second ruck position, gets him out of the goal square, frees him up, gets him marking around the ground and gives him some confidence, right? So I would leave Phillips out, play Draper and um, Wright against Ryder and Marshall and also play Stewart up forward as your traditional full forward and move Wright into that, well, the, the traditional forward pocket ruckman. What it about Harry? Gives, what about Harry Jones? Where he's centre half forward, right? Okay, yep. He's centre half right. forward. Okay. And you put uh, you put Perkins, you put um, uh, Martin. These blokes around at ground level. You might bring in a Wanga name. They need to have a better structure. I, I think they have a capacity on this ground to win in the midfield. It will depend on Parish. Um, and I'm going on the game that I saw. Brisbane versus St Kilda. Tough, relentless, hard. And uh, if they'll get McGrath back, if Parrish is okay, Shield found some good form. You've got Merritt. You've got Martin on wings. So they've got a bit happening in there. So uh, they've got a structure of forward line to win and play accordingly, Rowan. And I stress play accordingly. Play to win and play to develop this team. And if St Kilda get on top and kick four or five, well, don't start putting blokes back behind the ball in a um, defensive mentality. You've got to keep pushing forward. I think it's going to be the issue. I think the issue is going to be St Kilda's run and I think uh, a reasonably potent forward structure. Oh, very potent. Well, so you've got King, you've got Membry, you've got Ryder and Marshall. See, Essendon don't have the key position. You've got Higgins and Gresham. Well, Essendon don't have the key position defenders to cope with those talls. Do they have the smaller defenders to cope with those two bikes you just mentioned? I'm not convinced. And that's why Stewart has to come in so he can cover at both ends of the ground if required. It's plenty of ifs there. Um, oh, look, I'm positive thinking, and uh, for obvious reasons, I hope that that unfolds like that. But I look, to be honest, right at the moment, I, I'd find it hard to tip Essendon against Nana Goon thirds because they are not playing a positive brand of footy. And uh, Nana Goon thirds have been in very good form lately. So I am, uh, no, I jest, but I am tipping St Kilda in this one. Uh, it was a tough game against the Lions and they'll feel a pinch, but I still think they're a pretty resilient side this season. I think they've shown some pretty good pluck. And uh, I think they can not only do that, I think they can get the better of the Bombers and have a decent win. I'm going for St Kilda by 22 points. You scared me with that run. Essen have got to defend at this ground. Essen play this ground well, but they've got to defend at this ground. And the likes of Sinclair coming off halfback and the run and the pace that St Kilda can generate is a real concern. Um, I'm either going Essendon by three points or St Kilda by 83. How am I travelling? <laughs> well, you, it's the two fairly uh, contrasting propositions. Well, well that's, make what's a, gonna, that's what's going to happen. Make a choice. Come on. I'm going by Essendon by three points in the boil over of the round based on the facts that um, I spoke about. 
I'll All leave right. it at that. Okay. Uh, you know, you've been uh, very brave in your tipping this year. Let's see what happens. There well, with no, that hang one. on. What's the other word for brave? Stupid. That's <laughs> correct. Well, you said it, not me. All right. <laughs> there is Thursday and Friday. Let's talk about Saturday. Saturday afternoon, 1.45pm Eastern Standard Time. Adelaide Oval is the venue. The combatants are Port Adelaide and Sydney in a, uh, what is a replay of the 2003 qualifying final. <laughs> uh, don't know why I plucked that one out. Boy, that's only 20 years ago. Uh, what are Palmavet's saying? You can get tackle-busting benefits through them all AFL season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. Well, the betting in this one is pretty close, Rob. The home side, nominal outsiders, $1.95 port head-to-head. Sydney, just favourites, paying $1.85 head-to-head. Now, the history between these two is pretty interesting. Sydney had dominated port for a long time. In fact, from 2006 to 2016, Sydney won 13 of 14 games against Port Adelaide. But Port have turned the tables. They have won the last five meetings between those two teams and significantly, yes, and significantly three of those five have been at Adelaide Oval, the venue for this game. However, Sydney have a reasonable record at Adelaide Oval. They are five wins and four losses and their form as we speak isn't too bad at all. They've won three of their last four, including... Great wins the last two games against Melbourne and Richmond. Port Adelaide, well, they turned things around, but that tardy start to the season is going to come back to bite them because they are now three games outside the eight, five wins, seven losses. The odds would suggest they're not going to make up that difference. And if they lose this one and potentially slip four games out, well, they're definitely not going to make it. Now you're seeing this one. Well, that's right, right. Last roll of the dice at home for for the uh, for for Port uh, Adelaide, and uh, gee, they're up against it. On they're quite extraordinary those numbers you read out. But at the moment, the Swans are a game and percentage in the eight. They need to work. They need to and they they need to keep going at it. Port at twelfth, five and seven with a percentage of one hundred and three. This is it for them, and they face a a young, energetic and mobile, listen to these names, Hayward, Wicks, Robottom, Blakey, McInerney, Florent, Mills, Heaney, Goulden, Warner. I think this is where this game will be won. I think they're too mobile. They're they're too versatile. They run too hard. And, um, you know, while Port rely on Travis Boak, Ollie Wines, um, it's going to be hard. I, uh, I, uh, well, you're preaching to the converted there. I absolutely love their young players, as you know, and uh, I can't think of a side that's got a bigger, yeah, more talented band of youngsters than One, the two, Swans. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven names there, and and a lot of them going through midfield too, where Port is still too reliant upon those two guys, Boke and Wines. Look, Amon does his bit. Uh, Houston does his bit uh, when they turn things around, Rosie and Butters. They, the likes of those players started to chip in a bit more. But it's still not the numbers or the sort of consistency that the Swans have through their midfield. Um, Tom Hickey, uh, he's uh, got a test 
um, would be an important inclusion for them because I think if he comes back, they can really exploit Port's, um, well, struggle in the ruck. Without well, not struggle. Their des- desire ruckless. not to pick a ruckman role. Yeah, yeah. To pick yeah. Finlayson. Um, they were all right in the last game uh, against Richmond. And Curvis, he did all right once the ball hit the ground. Going up against Laddams and going up against Hickey, gee, it's going to be hard. But I reckon one of the key interesting factors about this, at particularly this ground, um, is the battle of the interceptors. Alia Alia versus Paddy McCartan at the other end. Um, both critical in in their intercept marking and the capacity to give support to other defenders. And um, his brother, Tommy McCartan, he's going to have his work cut out for Dixon. So it'll be interesting if they can keep Paddy McCartan away from the McCartan-Dixon contest, Ryan. Yep, yep, agree. Um, yeah, look, the odds reflect uh, this is a bit of a toss of the coin job. Um, but I like the Swans. I think they are, they've got a, a really uh, energetic mix of of young players with established players who are pretty durable and whose form is pretty good. Uh, they need to keep winning to shore up their spot in the eight, whereas I think Port realistically would realise that uh, it's going to be a bridge too far now. Three games outside the eight, you're not going to make that up with 10 games left and the number of contenders queuing up for a spot in the eight who have better uh, credentials and do the power. So uh, I think Sydney can win this one, not by a lot, but I'm going for the Swans to win this one by six points. What do you reckon? Yeah, I'm with you. The mobility of the the old six-footers, the old Collingwood six-footers, is uh, going to be too much. Their versatility, their run, the return of Lance Franklin to team up with uh, Logan McDonald and Reed is going to be significant. And uh, I'm going for Sydney by a comfortable 21 points. And we will see the end of the Port Adelaide power as far as a contender for this season goes. Which would be pretty early in the piece given they, uh, again, were a preliminary finals last year. Pretty disappointing campaign for them. Speaking about disappointing, well, uh, one of these two sides we're about to talk about at uh, Saturday Twilight couldn't possibly have got more disappointing than this mob. I speak, of course, of West Coast, who have really uh, plumbed new depths this season. They take on Geelong at home, Optus Stadium, 4.35pm Eastern Standard Time, Saturday afternoon. Uh, Palmer Bet, where you can get tackle-busting benefits all AFL season. Remember to gamble responsibly. Uh, As you'd expect, the odds pretty disparate in this game, Geelong paying a hardly lucrative $1.05 head-to-head West Coast at home. You can get $10.20 on the Eagles. Quite remarkable that they are that long a price in Perth. Uh, West Coast Geelong have played each other only once in each of the past two seasons. In 2020, West Coast in Perth won by nine points. Last year, the game was down at the Cattery and Geelong made mincemeat of the Eagles belting them by 96 points. Uh, Geelong's record at Optus Stadium, three wins, five losses. Their last appearance there is the one they'd remember fondly. It was, of course, the preliminary final last year when they got smashed by Melbourne to the tune of 83 points. Now, here's one thing which does worry me about the Cats, but I stress not in terms of this game. 
Geelong has won its last three. They are eight and four, so they're traveling all right. But three of their four losses this year, Rob, have been to top eight teams. And only two of their eight victories have been against top eight teams. So they seem to be pretty good at winning the games they should, but pulling up a little bit short against the best quality opposition. West Coast, one win, 11 losses. They've lost eight in a row. This is officially the worst season in West Coast history. <clears throat> what do you make about uh, this one? Well, they're getting some players back, and their spine's not too bad. Obviously, Barras, Kelly, Darling, Kennedy on paper is uh, a pretty good spine, but the one that's not there is the big problem for them. Uh, with the hamstring to McGovern, it means that they're coming up against the likes of uh, Hawkins, Rowan, Stengel and Cameron with a uh, without their their most important intercept defender. And he's a decent chance to come back, I believe, Rob. A little birdie tells me. It was a bad hammy. Yeah. Well, I hope so because that gives them a really good spine and something to build on. But uh, both pl- both teams coming off the break, it's been um, look. It'd be really good for both sides. There's a little bit of age in the Geelong list, but imagine giving Tom Stewart a break after that concussion and also allowing Dangerfield to rest up at Mobs Creek. If they're ready to go, they're going to come out really fit, really fresh and um, wanting to play really, really well. well and, uh, just just on that Geelong selection, yeah. they've got some interesting calls to make because uh, my mail is... Dangerfield is actually expected to return for this game, yeah. uh, which would be interesting. And also, my boy, young Maxie Holmes, almost ready to come back, Rob. Well, he can go through the VFL. Well, tell you. I'm telling you. Well, that, I'm telling you what, Dangerfield and Stewart won't be going back through the VFL. I'm telling you, <laughs> don't be surprised if Maxie Holmes goes straight back into the seniors because they like him a lot. What did he have, Ron? So. Hamstring? Ankle. Ankle. Yeah. Okay. I I think this is um uh the I'm looking forward to one jewel there. I've got him. Look, it'd be quite controversial, I guess, because he's a full back. But uh, wait for age, and uh, the class he's up against week in week out. I know there's Newcomb. Dacos has been really really good. Nick Martin started well. He's just plateaued fractionally, hasn't he, Rowan? He's going okay, but he was terrific early. He's been Essendon. I'm going I'm, – I've got Sam DeConings at fullback for Geelong. He's um, got his fingernail in front in the rising star. But reason being, I know Newcomb's great also, but uh, midfielders Newcomb, Martin's midfield – Dacos, bit of half-back, wing, midfield. This bloke's last-line defence. He's full-back. So he's got to take them all on, and he's done it exceptionally well. So I'm looking forward to the DeConing and Kennedy matchup. One starting their career and one probably, sadly, maybe 10 games away from the end of his career. Does he play on Kennedy or does he play on Darling? No, he'll play deep. Okay. He'll play deep, yep. Okay. Uh, we worried about uh, Geelong in Perth. Like I said, their record no. there isn't outstanding. They're three and five at Optus Stadium. Uh, like I said, though, West Coast, they just they can't buy a win, can they? That 111, 
getting flogged every week, been a little more competitive uh, last couple of outings. But, uh, and I'll tell you what, you reckon they're getting a few back. Well, they are getting a few back. But that said, this is who was still on the list of outs for them. Oscar Allen, uh, Jeremy McGovern, while well, we think he might be back, Nick Natanui, Zach Langdon. Uh, actually, you're right. There are fewer big names on that list now. But uh, a bit too late to save this season. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see whether they can get anything out of the second half of the year or whether they just turn up their toes and make it a whole season of flogging. Boy, I hope not for their uh, support base because it's been a pretty miserable 2022. 20, Geelong, well, like I said, they're pretty good at belting or winning the games that they should and beating up on teams that they should. Um, I think they'll do that very comfortably in this game with or without Paddy Dangerfield et al. I'm going for Geelong to win this one very comfortably. Uh, let's say Cats by 42 points for me. What do you reckon? Well, that's not comfortable. That's regulation, right? 42 and, and, points and, is comfortable. Com- comfortable. Rowan, comfortable is 84 points. Have a no, go. No, that's thrashing. All right. All right. No, no wait on. Well, no, I'm going to go. I, I think they've got a few back. They'll be better. Uh, taking everything into consideration, I think this will be just a, a rock solid uh, a single to backward point to get off the mark for the Geelong Cats, and it'll be I'm, I'm with you. After having a go at you, I'm with you. You said 42. <laughs> I think it's a rock solid seven goals, forty-one points. Oh, okay, good on you, see. It's almost exactly the same. I think they will. Uh, I think it'll be another of those games where they get out to a a match-winning lead and then just sort of you know go into cruise control. We're seeing a lot of games like that this year, and I think Geelong are probably more inclined to do that than most. Uh, they have to pace themselves perhaps a bit better than other sides throughout the year, given the age of that list and the fact that half of them are on Zimmer frames. No, they're not. I don't even know why I said that. They're going all right for a side on Zimmer frames at eight and four. But bottom line, we are both going for the Cats very comfortably. Okay, the next game on Saturday is an evening affair in Sydney. Well, these two have had some memorable tussles, particularly in finals. I'm talking about GWS and the Western Bulldogs, who clash at 7.25pm Saturday evening at Giants Stadium. Palmer Bet, where you can get tackle-busting benefits all AFL season. Uh, always remember to gamble responsibly. Uh, they have the betting pretty tight in this one. In fact, might surprise some people, GWS is actually being installed as favourite by the boys at Palmer Bet here. You can oh, get... they're not, are they? You can get $1.85 on GWS, the Western Bulldogs, $1.95. I'm sure their reasoning is sound. Uh, Western Bulldogs are eight and six against GWS. They've won three of the last four against them. They've had two finals clashes against the Giants and uh, both the Giants stadium where the score on is one and one. Of course, that epic 2016 preliminary final, which the Doggies won by a kick on their way to that flag. And uh, GWS, I won't say getting revenge, but uh, evening the ledger in the, what was it, 2019 elimination final. Overall at Giants Stadium, the Bulldogs are two and two. Their season record, the Doggies, well, they've been up and down all year. They are six wins, six losses. Last game, uh, a 13-point loss to Geelong 
in round 12. GWS, not a good season for them. They've got a, a different coach already. Uh, 13th on the ladder at four and eight. However, under Mr. Mark Spike McVeigh, the uh, fill-in coach, they are two wins and one loss. So positive win-loss ledger for Spike. Can he inherit the job permanently? Well, I asked you that before, and uh, we won't go over your answer because we got ourselves in all sorts of bother discussing what your answer actually meant. Don't do <laughs> uh, it again. Actually, <laughs> what I actually meant, yes. I think what you meant, no, I'm not going over that again. Uh, we agree, though. He is certainly boosting his coaching credentials. Look, uh, they're uh, willing rivals, these two, and... Um, I'll talk about injury news in a minute, but how are you seeing this one? Well, I, um, I'm i disappointed with the Palmer bet odds because this was going to be my special for the weekend, even though I have tipped Essen and uh, I don't know why, but this was going to be my special based on a few factors. Just some basic points. Obviously, the dogs are 10th, 24 points, so they're in also in a must-win category. GWS off the pace, 13th, 16 points. It's the, the Giants' home ground away, and they've got a few things going from them. The midfield is starting to be a bit more attacking. McVeigh, like we spoke about Collingwood, nowhere near that level, but they're starting to move the ball. The move of Himmelberg back has been a revelation. He's had 37 possessions, Rowan, and kicked a goal last week. So the dogs have got to get through him, and they've also got to get through Taylor, and his matchup with um, Norton's going to be a ripper. The main worry for GWF excuse me, is English. He's a remarkable player. Very good at clearances, runs hard forward, and um, he's going to create a big problem. But apart from that, providing the GWS have um, match it with the, the dogs at the source, which is the stoppages, the clearances, the centre clearances, and there's no reason they can't with the likes of Green, uh, Kelly, Ward, Whitfield, uh, Tom Green going through there. They've got a great chance to win, uh, you know, to hold McRae and to hold Liberatore. Well, just, they, just on that too, yeah. there's a chance Tim Taranto could be back for them as well. Righto. Okay. Well, that's good, Rowan. I thought he was out for eight weeks, so I didn't even consider him in my report. Um, the Dogs' weakness is that they are the fourth bottom team at – allowing opposition to score from rebound off half-back. So if you can get going uh, against them, you can um, – teams average six goals against them in a game from that source, like the rebound off the half-back flank, through the midfield, into the dogs. If 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 the dogs can't stop them doing that and Whitfield and Kelly and these sort of blokes get hold of the ball – I, I think they're a fair chance to kick a winning score. Well, you know what? You, this hasn't happened before this season, but you've just talked me into changing my tip because... Oh. No, you've never done that in 40 years. <laughs> I've heard you say that. Well, I, I'm about to because uh, the more I look at it, I think Bailey Smith is a massive oh. loss for the dogs. Oh, there you go. I forgot about him. Oh, just a quick one. Are you old school, old school stuff? Are these young kids now modern professionals, water off a duck's back? Or does a thing like that disrupt a club a little bit, you reckon? Not beyond the loss of talent, it doesn't, no. 
Uh, it's just a player no, there with the, 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 the um, distraction of Bailey nah. Smith's issue. Nah. No, that's right. That's why I asked you. What yeah, none, none of that stuff ever does, you know. I, I, it's so overrated, the impact on, on of a person, one player. I mean, yes, obviously they're going to miss his talent, but does the, the nature of the controversy, the ongoing story or soap opera of Bailey Smith, does that mean Tom Liberatore can't play because he's losing sleep at night about Bailey Smith? I would think that was highly unlikely. And that's no knock on Tom Liberatore at all. It's just like these guys are professionals. They uh, they are able to uh, zone out and uh, do their own preparation regardless of stuff like that. So I don't think that's a factor. But I think in personnel terms, given the fact that some of those Giants midfielders are starting to play really good footy, I think uh, the venue is an issue. Uh, look, I think a doggy's form's been okay, but they just haven't quite ever really got into top gear this season. And I think the Giants, under uh, our mate Spike, have uh, been going quite well. They're certainly a more positive, attacking, aggressive, uh, direct style of game that they're playing. And uh, I think the players are responding to his his coaching. So, uh, they, look, I'll, I'll, yeah. yeah, go on. They well, didn't get it right against Brisbane. You got to remember they kicked eight goals in a quarter at the Gabba. Yep. The only problem was the opposition kicked six and was still in the game when they had no right to be. So yep. um, they're really playing some good footy, and I think that'll continue. He's won two out of if he can go three out of four. Yeah. That's that's a damn good effort. Um, oh, they'll be calling him Alistair Clarkson if he wins well, another they will. one. And, All right, um, give us your tip. Some good young players first. Lastly, Pete Ling coming, Tanner Brune. He had 10 possessions in a quarter last week, which was, was terrific. double f- four other players from North Melbourne, like Greenwood and Stevenson and these and Horn Francis. He's a good young player. So, yeah, 21 points. All right. Uh, well, given that I was tipping the other side initially, you talked me into it, I'm going to go for a narrow margin. I'm going to go GWS by two points. Wow. That is the Saturday card. And again, um, to the apparent displeasure of some, uh, just the one game on the Sunday and uh, it's not in Melbourne. It is, in fact, on the Gold Coast. (laughs) Round 14 wraps up Sunday afternoon, 3.20pm with Gold Coast taking on Adelaide at Metricon Stadium. Palmavet, where you get tackle-busting benefits all AFL season. They have the home team pretty comfortable favourites head-to-head. Gold Coast playing $1.18. Do you know, I reckon they've been a price like that too often in their history. Good to see. Adelaide, the definite outsiders in this game, offering $4.90 on the Crows are uh, Palmer bet. Let's look at the history. Well, uh, one thing definitely going for Adelaide is their record against the Suns which is a more than healthy 14 wins and one loss. Yep, their only loss against the Suns was at this same venue, Metricon Stadium, back in 2020. And it was a comprehensive loss, 53 points. Adelaide overall, though, are 12-4 at Metricon Stadium. Not playing well, though, the Crows, after uh, starting the season pretty well, but they've lost five of the last six... (laughs) And uh, the win last week 
was, uh, well, hate to say it, but only against West Coast, and uh, they can't beat themselves at the moment. Gold Coast have won four of their last five now, the only loss in that period wow. to the Western Bulldogs in Ballarat, and even that was a relatively narrow loss by 19 points. They are six wins, six losses, the Suns, which is their best start to a season since 2014, when at this stage they were seven wins and five losses. Injury list looks pretty good for them. Uh, Jack Lacoche is still three weeks <coughs> away. Uh, Rory Thompson has to uh, get through a test to be available yep. again. And uh, the bad news there, Lockie Weller, knee injury. He will miss the rest of this season, which is a pity. But uh, got a bit of decent depth those days, the Suns, and certainly they've got form. Uh, Adelaide, uh, not too much going on there on the injury front, apart from the obvious Rory Sloan out for the year with a uh, full catastrophe knee injury. And Paul Seisman, well, I haven't had him all season, sadly, due to some serious concussion issues. But uh, you look at the uh, injury list, the form charts, uh, it all points to Gold Coast having another good win here, Shorey. Well, it does. Um, look, they're not without a chance because they would have got some confidence, even though it was West Coast. Do you imagine us talking about, could you imagine five, three, five, seven, nine, ten years ago, us talking about the West Coast Eagles like that. It's extraordinary. Um, yes. At Metricon, uh, they're 11th. If they have a win here and our other tips go to plan, they jump the dogs and are knocking right on the door of the final eight with uh, plenty of games to go. The other mob, 15, 16.82%. It shows them that they, they haven't had a great year defensively, even though the fact that they do have Tex Walker back there. Um, Young McAdam, he's done a good job, hasn't he? At, uh, he kicks his two or three every week. I think just it'll be, once again, uh, four out of five based on three key areas, physical clearances, inside 50s and contested ball. And then the bonus for this uh, Sun side, they've got exciting talent, Rankin, Roses Jr. and Jeffrey at ground level, are very, very creative and... Um, uh, they will miss Weller, but I think they've got more than enough uh, ability, depth, playing at home. A uh, bit of rain up there. Has, has it been pouring again up there? I don't know. I'm not going to ask you for your weather wall this week. I know you haven't got it up. You've had uh, internet issues. Um, but playing at home, I, I, I think it's a, a no-brainer. They're, they're going to have a an okay win. It's not going to be a thrashing. I think they'll they'll get through okay. You know, you mentioned it before. The big difference about Gold Coast for me, well, one, they have proved they are a more resilient team now. They've been able to overhaul some deficits in games. They've been able to bounce back from the odd shocker. Um, you know, their form line has basically been pretty solid this season. But there's a genuine air of excitement about them up forward now, and that is due, pardon the pun, due, D-E-W, to the <laughs> recent addition of those two blokes you mentioned, Roses and Jeffrey, I think they've made a really, really important difference. You know, even when they've played okay in the past, the Suns, it's all been about, uh, well, you know, going way back, it's been about Gary Ablett or it's been about, you know, a couple of big marking forwards, Tom Lynch when he was there, et cetera, et cetera. 
And coming into this season, it was probably chiefly up forward going to be about Ben King. Well, he's not there. So they went out and got Chole and Casbolt. I think them sharing that key forward load has been important. But having a couple of smaller goal kickers and exciting players too in Roses and Jeffrey, I think has been a huge plus for them. So they're now, the ball goes inside their 50 and there's genuine fear in opposition defences because I think, you know, the key forward's going to get us, or the ground level forward's going to get us. There's a few options there. I like this about them. The depth is better than it was. Uh, the kids are more consistent than they were. The resilience in that back line. Yep. Yeah. Butterick, Ballard, yep, absolutely. Collins. Yeah. It's yep. a very, very underrated. There's just a, a sort of a, a more consistent and solid look about them as a whole side across the park. And um, I think it's certainly good enough to win. And I think their home ground advantage actually is pretty strong. I think it's one of the strongest home ground advantages in the competition. They're not easy conditions for opponents to play in. And my sons are very, very used to them. So, um, I think they're going to have a solid win. I'm going for Gold Coast by uh, 28 points. Yeah, I'm around that too. No, nothing spectacular. I'm expecting uh, probably a downpour at some stage. So uh, high 20s, low 30s, Ron. I'll, I'll just uh, push past you a little bit with 31 points. 31. Nothing special, but a good rock-solid professional performance. All right, I like it. So uh, six games, we differ on only one. Uh, let's see how both sets of tips go this week. That is round 14 previewed and round 13 reviewed and news wrapped up. Uh, that is a pretty full book. Thanks again to our official podcast sponsors, Palmerbet, uh, where you get tackle busting benefits all this AFL season. You can be a uh, supporter, financial supporter of the Footyology podcast at the ACAST supporter page, wherever you listen to us, whatever platform you choose to listen on, or become an official Footyology patron via one of the many links to Patreon, a wonderful platform for independent media and publishing, and the links to Patreon are all over the Footyology website, footyology.com.au. Some good stuff coming up on there, not just footy, of course. Uh, in fact, might have a piece to interest you, Rob, I've got yep. uh, our man Warwick McFadgen has penned a piece about none other than the Sex Pistols, one of my favourite bands. So uh, <laughs> looking forward to getting that up on the site this week, along with all your, uh, well, plenty of basketball at the moment and plenty of good. Hey, Rowan, just too. on that, you yes. know the recent trooping of the colour for the 70th anniversary? Um, I didn't all- watch any of it, but yeah. They had the concert, Rod Stewart, Elton <laughs> John. Yeah, you reckon they should have had John Lydon from the Sex Pistols? Yeah, singing God Save the Queen. <laughs> yeah, the fascist regime. Yeah. <laughs> they made you a moron, a potential H-bomb. Yeah, that would go down very well. Uh, in fact, uh, I wish we could uh, – you're banging around enough there. What are you doing? Oh, uh, no, I'm just moving my pen and my paper. <laughs> okay, we'll do I, it. I must have – The most sensitive like, microphone in the history like we of we got some feedback recording. about – heavy breathing and yeah. there was nothing to do with that role it was just <laughs> my microphone purchased from jb uh hi-fi for the princely sum of 79 dollars 99 which i thought was a steal yeah. um you can't do a thing i can't move a pen a lead um and now i'm getting com- not complaints 
that I'm, they can hear me breathing. It's that good. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's a very good mic. And in case you're interested, we both use the same mic. It is uh, Sydney is the brand name. It's a USB mic. And, uh, yeah. yep, JB, uh, you can get a very good deal on this Sydney external. Sydney Stadium. It's called the Sydney Stadium microphone. Can you believe that? I can. I can right believe on. that. Am I supposed to be surprised by that? No. Anyway, no. We're, we're just talking rubbish here. So I think it's time we wrapped it up. Uh, thanks, Hick. Yep. Yeah, go on. No, we'll no, no. <laughs> I've got no more lines. Okay. Nothing. Thanks to your company, everyone. Uh, you'll see us back here on Sunday night when we wrap up the round we just previewed. We'll see you then. Good on you.